Thanks for joining us online for today's message from our Sunday morning service, where we are learning how to make disciples who love God, love others, and serve the world. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged. For more information about Wilmot Center Missionary Church, go to wcmc.ca. Now prepare your hearts for what God wants to speak to you today. Once again, welcome this morning. Glad that each and every one of you is here today. Uh, We look forward to the remainder of this morning. Thank you to the worship team. Thank you to uh, everyone who's participated, to the readers this morning. We look forward as well to sharing again tomorrow at 5.30 and at 7, Christmas Eve. What a beautiful time of year, amen? It's absolutely wonderful. What's in a name? Uh, In Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, Juliet says that a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. No matter what people would call it, a rose, call it whatever you like, it'll still smell beautiful. And no matter that Romeo's last name was Montague, which was a rival to Juliet's last name, Capulet, it didn't matter to her because she was in love with him. So beautiful. Ah, isn't it? Uh, Sometimes names do have a lot of meaning, though. Uh, So Juliet was saying, whether you call it a rose or not, it doesn't matter what the name is, it matters about the substance of the rose. Well, sometimes names do have a lot of meaning. Sometimes they don't. Do you know what your name means? Uh, Maybe you do know what your name means. Uh, My name, Randall, means rhymes with handle. No, it doesn't. Just the thing is, it doesn't really have a, a, a really strong meaning. It means, it's a combination of shield or rim and wolf. So I don't know what to make of that. But things go down a little bit, a little bit down the hill a bit even farther. Because when I looked up Tarina, which is my wife's name, and of course a lot of people say, wow, what a beautiful name. I've never heard that before. Sadly, that's, that's, that's the way it comes out on babynamespedia.com. So I looked up, and it stated, The origin and meaning of the name Tarina is inherited, is inherited by all variant forms. What does that even mean? <laughs> and the final word, Tarina is inf- infrequently used as a baby name for girls. <laughs> so we're not doing so well. Trina and I. So maybe our last name is better. For those of you who may say, well, what is your last name? Where's my bulletin? Uh, Our last name is Rekhoff, or Rekhoff, if you prefer. And uh, you can decide for yourself whether or not this is any better, but there it is. Oh, it's up there already. Uh, The name Re, or the word Re, is a a stag or a deer, and a Kopf. You've maybe heard people say Domkopf. (laughs) Yeah, Domkopf means dumb head. But, but a Reikopf is a deer head. Not a very good thing in the, in, in the fall time of year to be a Reikopf. But here's the thing. In all of the world, there is no name except for one that is sweeter to my ears 
or to my mouth than the name Turina. Even though it is not used as a baby name uh, by very many people at all, except for one name, there is no name that is sweeter to me. So names can mean a great deal to some people, uh, to some less. You'd have to ask her if she believes the same about the name Randall on her lips and ears, but uh, I know she would speak graciously. Names can be incredibly meaningful. And the one that tops all names was introduced to the ears of a young man by the name of Joseph by a messenger from heaven, an angel named Gabriel, when he said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived by her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Because the name Jesus or Yeshua, means Savior or Deliverer. And just like any other name, to many people it means a great deal. To some, to many people, it doesn't mean a whole lot. And sadly, for many people, it's a word that thoughtlessly rolls off of the tongue as a swear word. It's the only name of a religious leader that's used in that way. Have you ever noticed that? It's the only name of a religious leader that's used as a swear word. And I believe the reason is because there is such power in that name that people don't know how to handle it. And Satan simply despises it. But in Bethlehem more than 2,000 years ago, the sweetest name was taken by the king of kings and the Lord of Lords, and given through the angel Gabriel to Joseph and then to Mary. Would you say that name with me? Jesus. Woo! All right. And so we finish up the Sunday part of our Advent series, Christmas Together, with one final scripture passage. And I'm going to invite our readers to come forward for this. One final scripture passage that's not heard so often for Christmas. And we'll look forward to hearing the beloved Christmas passages tomorrow evening. But this morning, since we heard from Matthew chapter 1, and we heard from Luke chapter 1, today we're going to go to John chapter 1, the fourth book in the New Testament. And we have some students, and I so appreciate uh, their responding and coming to read this morning the first 14 verses of John chapter 1. Bless you. Thank you. Thanks, Wayne. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. 
He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. Thank you, ladies. Aren't you appreciative for our students, for our youth? And so like I have been doing since we had quite a feature of students today, who here is involved in youth ministry of any kind? Come on, raise your hand. Will you show your appreciation to them? Amen. So what's in a name? What's in the name of Jesus? Shakespeare's words are actually applicable in a different way. With my apologies to students for bringing English literature into the holidays this morning. But Jesus is described in the Bible with so many wonderful descriptors, and we're not going to go after them all today. But included among them from Isaiah 9, a prophecy about his coming. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And He is Emmanuel, God with us. And in John chapter 1, John the disciple of Jesus uses several significant descriptors to present Jesus. And the first one he begins with is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. John was very intentional about using this descriptor, this particular metaphor. Because scholars tell us that for his Jewish readers, the word word was a way of referring to God. While for his non-Jewish readers, the word word referred philosophically to the overall principle that governs all things. I'm no philosopher. But what that means for us is that whether Greek or Jew, the word word meant it was kind of the ultimate reality whether philosophically or theologically, the ultimate reality whom we would call God. Word from God. The word word from God. It isn't just a few letters combined like it is for us. We talk about a word, and often we mean a few letters that have been put together. Word from God isn't even a few of those that are strung together to form a communication that we might call a word. Word was and is the literal embodiment of God's communication. That God would communicate to us in human form. That he would descend to us in human form. Not our word, but the word. Amen? The word. God spoke a word, a few letters for us. Matter was created. God gave a word, a few of them strung together, and it was recorded as the Bible. God sent a word, and he was incarnated. He became flesh in Bethlehem. And these first verses describe something of the mystery of the Trinity. That the Word was with God, but not only was the Word with God, but the Word was God. 
and is God and ever will be God. Jesus was God and is God in the fullest sense. Now, the natural answer from from many of us, including myself, the natural answer could be, uh, but that doesn't make sense, that this Trinity idea that there's one God, one nature, one substance, but three persons, a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Verse 3 helps in recognizing, and I'll come to that about the Trinity in in, in a minute, but about Jesus particularly, this unity, this trinity, this triunity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all things came into being through him, that is through the second person of the trinity. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. It goes, the word of God goes even farther than that in Colossians chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 1, that all things are held together by his powerful word. It's incredible. When we consider the vastness of the universe as we did several weeks ago, just a little bit of a recap. We start with our galaxy. We live in the Milky Way galaxy. It's 100,000 light years across or 9.5 billion kilometers. One galaxy. And the Hubble telescope tells us that there are more than 100 billion galaxies in the known universe. That's very large. (laughs) So if there is a creator, a designer, behind something that massive, and I believe there is, then it's completely reasonable to me that a creator like that exists in a nature and a form that is far beyond our imagining, far beyond our comprehension, far beyond our complete understanding. And there's a point at which we need to let go, uh, which we do with, with any sort of faith, there's a point at which we need to let go and say, I, I don't get it all. I don't understand it all. But if it's that big and there's a designer behind it, of course it makes sense that he exists in a form and a way that is so much beyond ours. Three persons, a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit become believable. And the word is personally distinct from the other two while at the, at the same time, essentially one with God. It's not three gods. It's one God in a form that is so much greater than what we could ever be. So Jesus is the word. Jesus is God. Jesus is creator. And then verses 4 to 5 take us deeper than creator with two more metaphors of life and light. In him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness did not comprehend it or the darkness did not overcome it. There's a word that could, uh, the word there in the Greek could be either of those two. John uses the term life three dozen times in the Gospel of John. So the word life and life associated with Jesus is very, very important to him. Not only is the second person of the Trinity creator of life, but he's the very source of it. His life itself 
emanates, comes from him. And that's the difference between him and us, or it's one of the many differences between him and us. So we can reproduce life from what it already is. So we can make babies, right? As beautiful babies, we can reproduce life. We can reproduce vegetation. I can still, I I should have brought a picture, but I can still go out into my backyard and I can pick fresh vegetables. So yesterday I went out, they're covered in tarp. It's a little bit unsightly. I need to do better. But I can go out back and I can pull my tarp back and I can pull out fresh kale. Still got life in it. And I just had some of it this morning in a smoothie. It's absolutely wonderful. Try it sometime. (laughs) Yeah, preach. So we can reproduce babies and we can reproduce vegetation like that. But we cannot produce from nothing. Because all that there is in creation and in the known universe had to have started from something. And the one answer that nobody can give is, no matter how it began, where did the matter that it started from, where did the energy that it started from, where did it come from? I believe it came from God. Jesus is like the seed. So we can take a seed and we can plant it and be amazed at what will happen to it. But Jesus is the seed out of which miraculously comes all that is good. He is the original seed necessary for the very possibility and existence of life and the very possibility and existence of reproduction of life. And then the metaphor that John really latches onto is that Jesus is the light. He is the illumination. He's the way. He's the revelation. He is the opening to understanding and discovery of spiritual things for all people. My favorite illustration of the Trinity, and understand that they all are deficient, but my favorite illustration of the Trinity is the Son. Because in in 1 Timothy 6.16, it's revealed that God lives in unapproachable light. So for me, the Son represents the first person of the Trinity, burns at unapproachable temperatures of millions of degrees Celsius, and and many more millions at the core of the sun. And then the warmth of the sun is like the presence and the direction of the Holy Spirit. And the light that shines from the sun to the earth that provides life for growth and for survival and for sight to me is like the second person of the Trinity. These three functions of the sun are just to me always imperfect but something of an illustration of the Trinity. Just as the light of the sun always provides physical light to the earth, Jesus provides the way to spiritual joy, to peace, to hope, to love, to life. And the cool thing is that he doesn't set every night. I mean, the sun does... As the earth revolves on its axis, the sun does provide light to to the earth, but it sets, so to speak, all the time as well. But Jesus never sets. Darkness is defined by some as the absence of light. 
And the birth of the Savior at Bethlehem, like the star that guided, that would later guide the wise men, was the appearance. The birth of the Savior was the appearance, the entrance of the spiritual light into his creation that had been drastically darkened by disobedience. The God of glory showed himself yet again as he had shown himself so many times over history and showed himself once again as the God of grace, knowing that not everyone would understand, but understanding that everyone needs to know. So John writes, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it or overcome it. Now here's the amazing thing about the sun on a cloudy day. Since we did a little bit of English literature already, how about a little bit of science? Uh, It can only be basic science because that's about as much as I can handle. But photosynthesis comes from two words. Uh, Photo having to do with light and synthesis having to do with synthesis. All right. (laughs) With synthesizing, which is like bringing together. So photosynthesis is an amazing mystery of a process to to the ordinary person. Life-giving sunlight shines. And the sunlight is converted in plants and some other organisms into energy. Carbon dioxide and water are converted into carbohydrates like sugar. They're stored up. They're later released to fuel the plant's activities like growth. It's amazing. And for for most of us, we just plant seeds and we see the stuff grow and we say, wow, it's amazing. The photosynthesis is something designed by God that is absolutely essential that comes from the power of the sun and and the absolutely perfect distance of the sun from the earth, so that that can happen, so that we neither burn up nor freeze. I know, make me yawn, but, but I think it's a good illustration of the amazing mystery of the process of the spiritual light of the world shining and converting the selfishness of human nature into life and spiritual growth by imputing to us a new nature which is his so that we can grow spiritually. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that awesome? Isn't that amazing? And just like the evidence of photosynthesis in leaves and fruit of many kinds, I don't think it's any accident that in Galatians, the evidence of the light of the world through the Holy Spirit is an increase of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Just ask somebody whose life has been changed. Not all of them all at once in perfection, but they're a continual process, just like growth in any organism. And the neat thing about photosynthesis is that it also takes place on cloudy days. Not as much. But even on cloudy days, and even penetrating through water, photosynthesis still occurs. And so no matter what the situation in our lives, no matter what might be dragging us down, spiritual growth can still occur because Jesus can penetrate the deepest darkness. Amen? From the Bethlehem birth to the unrivaled resurrection, the light of the world cannot be extinguished, but will shine for all eternity. Because you know in heaven it's described in Revelation that 
that heaven needs no sun because that's where God is. And God lives in that unapproachable great light. So there will be no need for sun because God's very presence will be the light. And then John goes on with what we call the good news uh, given in, in, in this description. No English lit lesson, no science lesson, just good news. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. Not John the writer, different John, John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. Now, if you were here last week and you made it through the message, uh, we met John the Baptist in the womb in Luke chapter 1. And now this is years later, about 30 years later, and John the Baptist is now written about by John the disciple, fulfilling what Luke had written about that we heard last week. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord from the prophet Isaiah. And John would come, as Malachi would predict, John would come in the spirit of the prophet Elijah, preaching repentance. And here's the good news that brings us back to Bethlehem. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every person. He was in the world. The world was made through him. The world did not know him. He came to his own. And those who were his own did not receive him. We can read about that in the Gospels, about the Pharisees who represented that very decisively. But as many as did receive him, to them he gave him the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, not just with the head but with the heart and with the hands, who were born not of blood, like that natural reproduction, nor of the will of the flesh, not by any human decision, but of God. Born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of a person, but born of God. This is, this is the good news of the incarnation. This is the good news of, 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 of God becoming flesh. The coming in the flesh of the second person of the Trinity, Son of God, God the Son. The Word made flesh. The Creator coming to the created. The light of the world. And then verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And John could testify, we saw His glory, His radiance, His splendor. They saw Jesus do mind-boggling things incredible miracles. They heard his teaching, which was absolutely life-changing. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father. Surely because people said, where did this teaching come from? Where did Jesus come from? We've never heard anybody teach like Jesus teaches. He teaches with authority. The authority that, that we've never heard before, surely because he was God the Son, full of grace and truth. So what's in a name? Uh, a lot to some people. Not a whole lot to others. All depends on how we respond to him. 
all depends on whether or not we choose for to say yes, yes, Lord Jesus, please be the one who would who would light my path. Whether or not we decide to respond to his invitation to us, that we would follow the light of the world. And there's more than than that. He is he is also a grace and truth. I don't have it here. But he is grace which is gift. And not only is he is he grace which is gift, but he is gracious. And so many examples throughout the New Testament of Jesus' life where he was so gracious to people who were in need and who were beaten down by others. And they saw in him hope and life and salvation. They saw in him the gift that he is. And he is the most beautiful, freeing truth. I just want to read the last three verses, but just in a different order. Just hear the word of the Lord. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man or humans but born of God it all began in eternity past and it culminated in the greatest episode ever of Undercover Boss if you ever watched that show Christmas started in Bethlehem and I pray that each and every one of us knows and lives in the living, abiding, word-made flesh, God the Son, creator of all that is good, creator come to the created, the light of the world. Let's pray together. We invite the musicians forward. Lord Jesus, we declare this morning that you are the word made flesh. We declare this morning that as the second person of the Trinity, together with the first and the third, that that you brought into being all that is good. We declare this morning, Lord Jesus, that you are God. That you are Son of God, of God the Son. We declare and give thanks this morning that you are the light of the world. And you have made the path plain. And you call us to follow you. You call us to follow the light, to be able to see the light that can never be snuffed out in the darkness. No matter how many have said it in the last 2,000 years that Christianity will die. Because Lord, I thank you. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that that true Christianity is not about following an institution. That true Christianity is not about following a form. That true Christianity is not about following rules and regulations. But I thank you, Lord Jesus, that, that you have called us to follow Jesus Christ. Jesus 
Messiah. Lord, help us to please never forget that. Lord, please help us to to remember to not forget that when we get caught up, whether it's in behavior or it's in argument or whatever it may be, that we keep coming back to you. And Lord, that we continue to ever lay aside our, our selfish pride and our selfishness and our self. And that we seek you and that we seek to follow the light of the world. Come to the world to give light to every person. Lord bless you. Thank you. And once again, Lord, even to you, uh, it's, it, it's only the celebration of the birthday of, of your incarnation, but, but Merry Christmas, Lord, to you for having given us the opportunity for Christmas to be merry and full of joy. In your name I pray. Amen. And amen. Thanks for listening online with us. We trust you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. If you have a prayer request or an encouraging story about what God has been doing in your life, please email us at amen at wcmc.ca. God bless.